0: And Lord, we say with someone you met in your time here on earth, we believe, help our unbelief. Give us trust to believe that you know what is best, that you always have our good in mind, that you can be trusted even when the world and our own hearts tell us that what you tell us is not true, makes no sense, cannot possibly do us good. Help us believe you and apply the wisdom of your word to our daily lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. How many of you have been on the internet already this morning? Let's, let's, folks, it's church. We can be honest. I know church for a lot of people is a place for posing and faking, but that is not the culture, and that is, uh, that is not the culture of Jesus and not the culture at Crosspoint. How many of you, even if it's on your smartphone, have been on the internet already today? Everybody email, social media, you name it, you've been there, most of you, almost all of you. And that's a problem. Today we conclude our series, our brief series in Proverbs. We will return to the the Proverbs sometime soon. Next week we will look at the book beside it in the Psalms. But I want to revisit something I first shared with you about four years ago, and from the ancient wisdom of God's word, specifically the Proverbs, try to find truth, guidance, comfort, safety in the age of the internet. The trouble is that the internet offers a feast both of knowledge and foolishness. Information is growing at an exponential rate. In my earliest days as a student, I lived through the conversion to the internet. In my earliest days as a student, you had to go to the library. If somebody else had taken the one book that you needed, that's it. You're done. You're out of luck. You had to see if you could find out through the grapevine who that student might be, see if they would let you borrow it or at least go to their house and look at it and pull the information that you needed from it. No longer. A vast library of information and misinformation, both knowledge and foolishness, is permanently available on the internet 24 hours a day, and it's growing. And that's a problem, because Proverbs 15 verse 14 says, the heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed on folly. The internet puts the truth of Proverbs 15 verse 14 on rocket fuel. The human heart, depending on whether it is already wise and in relationship and in an obedient state with God, will seek knowledge. God made you with both a mind and a brain. He's made his world explorable and discoverable and fantastic. If you've ever been up to Yellowstone or gone away from the city lights and sat on a clear night under the canopy of the cosmos, you've seen with your own eyes how spectacular God's creation is. And you want to know things and learn things and understand things. That's one reason it's hard to be a professional anything in this day because people have Google and they think that their 10 minutes on Google contradicts a medical degree. I talk to all kinds of people on a regular basis, white-collar professionals who spend a long time in school, doctors and lawyers come immediately to mind, who have to argue with their patients or their clients because of something that person read on the internet yesterday that is now going to redirect an entire career. And what everybody knows is, true that has any actual knowledge the heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge but the mouths of fools here's a word picture for you the fool feeds on folly and the internet is spectacularly good at making your brain hunger for more i don't want you to look it up right now but a very famous article was written over a decade ago with posing the question the title of the article was is google making us stupid That became a best-selling book called The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains. And the premise and the, the discovery simply is that your brain is very good at doing what you repeatedly tell it to do. And the Internet makes you hungry for constant input and for new bits. They're only bits of information. So there's a danger there if your heart is inclined to foolishness, and it is. The mouth of the fool feeds on folly. So I'd like to show you from the book of Proverbs and show you from contemporary life, maybe by helping you interpret your own experience and what I'm living through myself because I've felt both my heart and my brain change under the influence of the internet. For two years, I wasn't on social media at all, and then the pandemic started, and the first terrible service we had in this empty building, I thought, all the people are only online. I have to jump back in online if, I ne- if I'm going to connect with anybody. And I did, and it's been about two years, and a lot has changed. It can be a great blessing or a great curse to your life, depending on how you use it. But I think I'm going to help you see through proverbs that have been validated by contemporary research. Because scientists, social researchers, social psychologists often discover as new information what God said 3,000 years ago. I'll give you examples as we move forward. Here are four dangers to living wisely in the age of the Internet. The first is this. The Internet offers you a permanent opportunity for comparison. Jonathan Haidt, a social psychologist at NYU, says that the Internet, he now has the data, and if you're into this sort of thing, if you like to geek out on research... He and his fellow workers have opened up all of their data. It's all available online. You have to be a little bit of a researcher and a scholar to understand it, but the data set is all there. They engage the work of their critics. They change their findings. In other words, this is real, actual research, not opinion. And what they have found is that the Internet is particularly destructive. Not the Internet specifically, but the social media specifically is particularly destructive to young American girls much more so than boys. Now, why is that? Because of comparison. See, there's this myth that men are violent and women are not. It's not true. The researchers, with the wisdom of the Bible, though they don't cite it, say that human beings are violent. Men tend to be physically violent. Women, they say, tend to be relationally violent. And what that means is, if you're 12 or 13 and going through all the changes of puberty and you're body's feeling weird and acting strange and your brain won't settle down and you have bad skin and you have those three or four supernaturally beautiful friends who seem to have skipped puberty altogether and blossomed into full-grown womanhood, they can now show you their life compared to yours 24 hours a day. They can show you what you're not invited to. And that comparison, they say, is directly tied to the increasing anxiety, depression, and self-harm experienced by American girls beginning in the mid-2000s. I saw it, too, as someone who occasionally teaches in college. Around 2014, everyone in my classroom started acting more visibly anxious, unsettled, afraid, even though there was no physical reason to have any fear at all. We're in a suburban classroom. There is no reason for you to be hyper vigilant and jumpy. What has made you like this is the constant use of the internet and the drip, drip, drip of mean girls showing you that you can't sit with them, not even in the digital space. Here's what Proverbs says about that a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh. But, you read that last line with me? (laughs) Envy makes the bones rot. And now you can see not only someone else's life that you esteem as superior to your own, you can see a version of their life that doesn't even exist in the real world, not even for them. They can use filters and angles and lighting and all kinds of technology to make their body, their face, their home, their car appear Far more spectacular than it actually is. I told you last week, I think it was in this service, I'm now having the strange experience of meeting people in real life after engaging with them in social media and not recognizing them. And that's an awkward moment (laughs) because we both feel like we already know each other, but your actual physical reality is so different from what you present online that you have to tell me, I'm Holly. Oh. Hi, Holly. You look nothing like yourself here in daylight. (laughs) Amazing. In other words, in one of the cruelest loops of all, people are actually comparing themselves to themselves and feeling terrible about it. Proverbs says that a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh. In other words, someone who is peaceful and contented has a great life. But envy, which is fueled by the internet, makes the bones rot. What is another danger of the internet? This was probably the most vexing and personally the most heartbreaking thing I went through as a pastor during the pandemic, and that is conspiracy. For about two years, and especially in the hottest part of the pandemic when the political tensions were the highest, I had people I'd known for years, some I've known almost my entire life, radically shift their thinking, their behavior, based on something they heard. Can you guess? On the internet. internet. Conspiracy. Here's what Proverbs 18, verse 17 says. This is wisdom. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Just keep that in mind. That is always true. The first person to tell their story seems believable, seems right. But when someone else comes and asks questions, if there's a little bit, even outside of the courtroom, if there is an opportunity for a little bit of cross-examination, you sometimes find out that the story falls completely apart. And the internet offers very loud, and if there's money behind it, incredibly well-made platforms for foolishness, nonsense, and flat-out lies. This is conspiracy. Everyone, of course, has a right to their opinion, but no one has a right to their own facts and to the actual access to the truth. Just because someone says it does not necessarily make it true. Proverbs 18, 17 tells the wise man, when you hear something for the first time, look for an examination. See if there is someone else who is purported to be an expert in this field. It's the most astonishing thing in the world. I don't know if you noticed. In the last two years, many Americans have switched expertise several times. For a while, many of us were virologists, and then we were epidemiologists. More recently, we've been foreign affairs and military experts, and now a lot of us are economists. And that gives you the the human heart that always thinks it's right and always wants to be heard because another proverb says that a wise man restrains himself, restrains his spirit and his words, but a fool delights in giving his opinion. That fuels all kinds of conspiracies, sometimes unintentional, sometimes quite intentional. In 2019, a document that was leaked to the Massachusetts Institute of Technology revealed that 19 of the top 20 Facebook pages directed to American Christians were actually run by troll farms in Eastern Europe. If you don't know what a troll farm is, you should. A troll farm is an organized group of people with access to computers that very specifically and deliberately put lies and misinformation and try to stir up trouble very often for national or military reasons to unsettle the populace. Because if a nation cannot defeat us with weapons of war, they can defeat us if they turn us against each other, make us hate and mistrust our neighbor. So, 19 of the top 20 Christian Facebook pages. Now, why would they do that? Because if you can thread something that is not true into the Christian community and give it credibility and authority of biblical truth, you can unite all Christians in a common goal, which would be great if it's biblical and true, if it's something Jesus had in mind. It's a terrible idea if it's coming out of the country of Macedonia, deliberately crafted by people who intend to do us harm and divide us. How do you escape all this? You ask for the other side of the story. You ask if there are sources. You ask yourself if those sources have proven over years to be credible. Who's saying this exactly? Is it an, an, is it an institution of learning? Is it someone whose life and writing and career and speaking we can examine for the last several years to make sure that he's actually a person of good faith and not a crackpot? There's so many things that I hear on a regular basis that simply have no basis in fact. This one's a little old school, but let me give you an example from a biblical thing that Christians often say. Kind of got to go back a little ways and be in church for a long time, but I'm going to try anyway. How many of you ever heard that they tied a rope around the ankle of the high priest so that when he went into the Holy of Holies, if anything went wrong and he died, they could pull him out? Easily half of the congregation. Absolutely not true. Nowhere in the Bible, no historical evidence, no archaeological evidence. It came out of absolutely nowhere. But many people, because it feeds their bias and confirms what they're already afraid of or what they're already angry about, hear someone say something and make their life, their family, their church, their career spin on a dime. Don't do that. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Exist on the other side of the story. Exist on corroborating evidence. That brings us to anger. Have you noticed people are angrier? That's fueled specifically and directly by the internet. Read this proverb with me. Proverbs, please, chapter 22, verses 24 and 25. The Bible gives us this instruction. This is a specific commandment. Read it with me. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. A good Bible reading skill is to see if you can say it in your own words. You're ahead of me. Slow down. Yes, absolutely. That's going to be my life's legacy right there. Raise up a generation of slow Bible readers. That's okay. I'll take it. I could do far worse. But Another good Bible reading skill is to see if you can restate what the Bible is telling you. What this tells you is don't hang out and, especially, don't befriend people who are angry all the time, or you'll be like him, and that will be a snare for you. You'll entangle yourself in a snare. In other words, you'll make yourself a captive, you'll trap yourself with anger. Informal poll, don't look at them if they're here. How many of you have had relationships strained or broken by anger that started or was fueled by the internet? Can I see those hands? There we are. Now see, the beauty of the internet is it brings people close. In the ancient world, to befriend an angry man, to make a friendship with a man given to anger, to go with a wrathful man, you actually had to meet him. Now you don't. Now you can just go on his TikTok. Now you can just watch him on YouTube. Now you can just watch his rants on Instagram. Now you can subscribe to his newsletter. And there are people, I'm telling you, some of them Christians, some of them pastors or posing as pastors who have made a professional commitment that is making some of them quite wealthy to play the angry man all the time. And if you meet some of them in person, and I have, they're not really angry. It's a bit. They can get angry. They have access to it. But their permanent anger online makes people anxious, jumpy, mistrustful, makes them filled with contempt for people who don't get it the way they do because they've been taught by this great man and they are ensnaring themselves. A recent study from Yale University, the lead researcher is a man named William Brady, shows that social media by design encourages moral outrage. One of the researchers said people who post their moral indignation are rewarded by the basic design of social media. Now, how does that work? You take a strong stance, you tell people you're ticked, that gets you more, can you guess? likes somebody comes out and says it's a beautiful day we have a lot to be grateful for i'm so thankful to have a job and a family i'm having a good tuesday and i just had a pretty good hot dog (laughs) nobody cares you say i'm furious i've had it This group, this person, this government agency, these idiots over here, I've had enough. They will come flocking around you and like it, and the comments will start, and other people will start arguing or affirming, and pretty soon you've gone viral. And Proverbs says, make no friendship with the man given to anger, nor go with the wrathful man, lest you, this is what's happened to our country in the last several years, we have learned the ways of the angry and we've entangled ourselves in a trap. I don't engage in any serious discussion online. I'll broach the subject, but as soon as it gets serious, I'll say privately, here's my cell phone number, let's at least talk on the phone. If you're local, let's meet in person. If you're far away, let's see if we can FaceTime so we can see each other's faces. We were designed to live in bodies, when you disembody a human and make him only a subject and a target of words, terrible things that do not go with God's design, terrible things happen. The fourth dangerous thing regarding the internet is gossip. The words of a whisperer, like delicious morsels, they go down into the inner parts of the body. Ooh, what a Proverb. Now, you notice Proverbs isn't warning you against it. It's not telling you this is even a bad thing. It obviously is. But it's just telling you that gossip is delicious. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. I don't know if you've seen this. Someone will say something gossipy, salacious, and someone else will reply with a picture of someone eating popcorn. (laughs) Have you seen that? What's that mean? The show has begun, and I'm here on the front row to watch people made in the image of God debase, degrade, and destroy themselves and each other. All based on gossip. If I could be strangely specific, I grieve for what Johnny Depp and Amber Heard are going through. If you can't feel deep compassion for both of those people regardless of who did what, You have no idea what it's like to be the focus of other people's attention, much less their hatred and their contempt. It's destroying them. And America and the world are feeding on it with three or four second sound bites, cleverly edited with music and commentary to make one appear evil and the other appear foolish, or one heroic and the other villainous. We're being played, folks by succumbing to the worst uses of the internet rather than applying God's wisdom. Proverbs 26 says, For lack of wood the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. That's not a misprint. It's a repeat. I want you to see that Proverbs says the same thing in chapter 18, verse 8, and in Proverbs 26, verse 22. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. In chapter 18, it just makes the flat observation that gossip is delicious, but A few chapters later, it tells you what that's like. That gossip is actually like fire burning. That gossip actually kindles strife. It separates and destroys people. It ruins families. And you, as a believer in God, should have nothing to do with that kind of gossip. If we would stop talking about each other and start talking to one another, we'd be so much farther ahead but it's hard to talk to another person. It's easier to feast on the foolishness of watching them at their worst moments and enjoying the things that other people say about them. Be very careful, be very wise on the Internet. Here's four practical steps to grow wiser as you use the Internet. First, please realize that digital life is real life. One of the great, great lies that ruined a lot of people is to separate what they consider their real life and their internet life. What is happening online is quite real because the truth is the internet shapes you for better or for worse. In my recent return to school, one of my mentors told me that he finished a second doctorate at the same time university where he was supervising mine he finished a phd without ever going to the library the library is 50 yards from his office it's state of the art it's beautiful how did he manage he a professional researcher manage to finish a terminal academic research based degree without ever going to the library cuz he's really really good on the internet it is real life. It's shaping you and changing you and influencing you in ways that you may not remember. Here's Jesus telling us that simple truth. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be what? Like his teacher. In other words, we all have a lot of people discipling us, And with no shame and no guilt, if this gets five minutes and the internet gets four hours, you're being shaped more by whatever you watch on the internet than anything the Word of God says. Now, of course, there are spectacular resources for godliness and growth and biblical knowledge on the internet, but they're not nearly as fun because it's the words of a whisperer that are like delicious morsels. Second step toward wisdom in the age of the internet. You need to practice. We need to practice loving God and other people one personal encounter at a time. If you're very young in this room, thank you for being here. I'm especially excited that you're here. I want you to understand this is not an old guy ranting against technology he doesn't like or understand. I'm an Xer. Not a boomer. Not a millennial. I'm in the forgotten generation. (laughs) We have a very, very unique perspective because we remember very well analog life and we live through the full conversion to digital life and the age of Wi Fi. We remember what you will never know. And the social anxiety you're feeling, where in college, I'm literally increasingly teaching college freshmen and younger how to have a personal conversation. This is an old guy ranting. I'm just telling you, this is what it is. We've been so conditioned by digital devices that face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball contact, even friendly, even relational, even supportive, is terrifying to people, especially those who have been locked in for over a year. It makes them extremely anxious. It's very, very different. What is the solution to practice Loving God in personal relationship with Him in His Word and through the blessing you have of praying to Him and with other, your fellow, normal human beings, one personal encounter at a time. This is the way we were designed to live. Read with me the words of Jesus in the great commandment. Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And all of that was intended to be done and is better done in person. Third wise idea drawn from Scripture you have to disconnect on purpose. My iPhone has a new terrifying feature that shows me how much time I'll spend on the screen. <laughs> I honestly sometimes can't remember or imagine why the number is as high as it is at the end of the day. I don't remember and it doesn't seem like I was on the phone that often. But having, I think, seven different channels of communication open to the world using my phone more for email now than I do my laptop, posting things on social media and trying not to be rude, dealing with the social expectations of I said something and he didn't like it. Oh, my. We've created an entirely different world where we are very much expected and relationships can be strained and questioned, if not altogether broken, because he never likes my posts anymore. Oh, I think he unfriended me. Oh my goodness, he blocked me. It's over now. (laughs) We hate each other now. He blocked me. How do you cope with all that? Well, you disconnect on purpose. For the sake of God, for the sake of others, for the sake of your soul, you unplug. And if that sounds unthinkable and undoable to you, may I suggest to you that you're already pretty far gone and that that makes this wisdom all the more urgent Listen to Paul advise the Thessalonians. Contrast these simple instructions with the life we're now all living in 2022. Now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Listen, see if this sounds like us in 2022. And to aspire to live, what's it say? To aspire to live quietly and to mind your... And to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. A godly Christian life is a quiet life that minds its business, that does its work conscious that that life lived in public will be a good testimony to those who do not yet believe in Jesus. For the last several years, I've been trying hard to reach people I care about who are far from here that I'm closely related to or have a reason to love that are elsewhere in the country and give them a good witness for Christ and it is harder than it's ever been because of the online behavior of other Christians This your tribe bro See what this pastor in Tennessee said Is that how you feel? Is that what you're doing? He doesn't know this guy This guy's got 20 people listening to him in person and several million online, and he's dragging the name of Jesus and those of us who publicly claim Jesus right through the slime and the mud because his online voice is so loud and strident so filled with conspiracy theories and moral outrage, it gets all the likes. And Paul would say to him and to me, aspire to live quietly. Mind your own affairs. Work with your hands so that you may walk properly before outsiders. And finally, church, let me invite you as you never have before to recommit to the community of the local church. This right here, Not just this. This is just the public worship service. The real growth, the life on life change takes place through the friendships, through the ministry dreams, through the small group Bible studies, through the fact that college students in this church love and support and sometimes have meals with the widows of this church. Only the church of Jesus could come up with a scenario like that where young people A generation, sometimes two generations, removed from the people they're having lunch with sit down with people they don't really know and the only common thread is Jesus. This lady here, she lost her husband 20 years ago. She's old enough to be the great-grandmother of the young man sitting across from her. Why are they together? Because they belong to Jesus, and in the faith of a local church, they have decided not only to belong to Him, but to belong to one another. That's real community. That's what we most need. Our church is growing, and it is well beyond the possibility of anybody, including me, as hard as I try, to know everybody who comes here. I'm increasingly having this embarrassing conversation out on the porch. Is this your first Sunday with us? No, I've been here for six months. Sorry. My bad. You probably sit to the left where I don't look very often. That's almost certainly the problem. Introverts, if you don't want to be seen, sit right over here. I've been working on it. You've noticed I've been getting better. But this laughter, this knowledge of one another, the fact that some of you recognize some of the names and the actual people behind the simple statement that sometimes college students have meals with widows, and you know who those people are, or you're in the youth group, or you're in the Tuesday night young adults group. Or you're, you're in our recovery group that meets here on Thursday night where people are coming out of addiction into faith of Christ and into sobriety. That community is what God intended in His local church. Listen, 1 Corinthians 12, 26 and 27. Let's read this together. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is who we are. Let's act like it. Let's live wisely, even in the age of the internet. Pray with me, please. Jesus, give us your wisdom. You came to die for us, live perfectly in our place, make every wise choice where we had made none You came to live righteously and quietly you minded your own affairs you always spoke the truth you never engaged in gossip when you were angry it was only righteously so and for the good of others including the people who occasioned your anger you're a good savior help us jesus be fully discipled not by the internet not by internet trolls or chat rooms, or social media platforms that reward the wrong things. Help us fully be discipled by you. And friend, this is a very specific and a very rare topic at our church. But I hope at the heart of it, even if it's your first time here, you can help hear me telling you about Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, whose creed we just sang, born of a virgin, lived a righteous life, died on the cross, keeping all of God's law because we would not, we could not, we did not want to. He loves you. He gave himself for you, and he is willing and strong to be your life, even today, if you'll give him your sin and your foolishness. Choose his wisdom, his righteousness, his humility instead. If you have questions, if you've been putting Jesus off, you're coming close to the point of faith, I hope you'll fill out a card and let me know. I'd love to talk to you online if you insist, but I'd much rather talk to you in person. Folks, we can live differently. We can live quietly. We can live wisely. We can live righteously. We don't have to be discipled to the internet. Let's be disciples to Jesus instead. Thank you, Lord, for the time that we've enjoyed. If there's anybody here who needs prayer, finds themselves, as some have, in a crisis. Lord, may they reach out. May they know today that they are loved and cared for. May they be heard. And may we represent the love of God to them in this crazy, messed up, sin-broken world that you came to save. We ask this in Jesus' name and Crosspoint says with me, amen. Amen. God bless you folks. Love you. Bye-bye.